This is Soccer City. Soccer has power. And that was never more evident than the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Now, in this case, I'm not referring to France's triumph or the many fabulous matches in the professional arena. I'm talking about the FIFA Foundation Festival, a remarkable gathering of young people from around the world. We'll have more on that in a moment. U.S. Soccer, that's the governing body of soccer in our country. Uh, they've put a hiring freeze on our youth national teams, three of which on the men's side are without permanent coaches. Mike Wataya of Soccer America, he'll be along to provide the details, including a youth technical director who is frustrated with the process. New York City FC, they got their captain David Villa back and also got a late goal to defeat the defending MLS Cup champions from the most precise finisher in Major League Soccer, and his name is in Villa. Well, now we're going to talk about soccer and how it impacts the youth in our community, the five boroughs, New York City. We've focused on that uh, throughout Soccer City. Uh, Lily Barrett O'Keefe, Program Director for Saturday Night Lights, also uh, the North American and Caribbean Network Manager for Street Football World, joins us. She's in studio. Lily, what's happening? How hey, how's it going? Besides the rain outside, it's going well. Yeah, it's, uh, well, that's kind of, hopefully by the time this airs, <laughs> maybe it'll be sunny out. Hopefully, but at least our conversation will be sunny. We've spoken uh, once before, and I wonder if you could kind of review what your responsibility is with, with the youth and how soccer has provided an impact. Yeah, so Street Football World uh, just broadly is a network of organizations that use soccer for development. So similar to the work that... Or the conversations you've had on sitting in the community, sitting in the community is one of 125 network members in 80 countries worldwide. So all of these organizations use soccer or football in some as some sort of non-formal education tool. So what I always believe and what we believe at Street Football World is soccer or football can be used as a medium, as a tool, or as a catalyst. So you can physically, you know, of course, use the game to be able to manipulate lessons on HIV, AIDS education, gang intervention, or health or nutrition, or you can also use it as a catalyst for community change. Our belief is you can really teach anything regardless of where you are or the community that you're in using soccer kind of as that hook to bring to bring kids in. I always like hearing uh, the discussion of nutrition with a young person, <laughs> whether they're in an underserved community or not, but especially there where maybe it's a little bit more difficult to manage. So right. is that a is that a critical component? Yeah, and I think it also I think the beautiful thing of street football world in it was. Um, it was founded in 2002 when they noticed that all of these grassroots organizations were using the sport because they all were kind of organically realizing that they needed some sort of hook to work with the next generation of leaders in their community. And they realized that all of these grassroots organizations and nonprofits across the globe were working um, in isolation. So they weren't communicating. So even if you're working on health and nutrition in New York City or in Haiti or in South Africa, you might have different kind of tactics or end goals, but at the end of the day, you're using the sport in the same way. So I think it's really cool because you you know, you know see in East Africa Network um, members or in Haiti, they use a lot of, you know, providing free meals is huge, um, huge, 
nutrition um, and also kind of engagement tactic to get kids to come because for so many kids that's the only healthy meal they have throughout the day and then also for of course sitting in the community foundation you see the healthy hat trick and how you can like incorporate vegetables and fruits actually into skills and drills on the field so I think health and nutrition is vital and for so many of these kids you know, soccer programs is somewhat of a trick that they think they're becoming, you know, a, a professional soccer player through these programs. And so also introducing to be a professional high performing athlete, you need, um, you know, you need to also be nourishing your body in those ways. So in so many different kind of tactics and uh, teaching um, opportunities, you're able to kind of uh, put in different topics on health and nutrition um, through through sport. Awesome. I, yeah, I want to take you uh, across the ocean to Russia specifically. Oh, Russia. And uh, <laughs> you were around for the World Cup this year. I was. With uh, something that I, I believe it was uh, something that was just born in this World Cup called the FIFA Foundation Festival. Could you define what it was and, and what role you played? Yeah, so Street Football World has teamed up with FIFA um, actually since the Germany World Cup in 2006. So though it's had a, it now has a different name, this is now the fourth World Cup that Street Football World and FIFA have partnered on. They put on an 11-day uh, festival, um, which had kids, I think it was 300 kids from 37 countries worldwide from every kind of corner of, of the world came together for wow. for an 11-day experience on, you know, young leader training. There was over 48 football for good workshops um, and really just an opportunity to to say that it's not, it it's not all about the the players that we see on TV, that there is also such a value in the real stars of the game that are playing at the grassroots level. So what were some of the activities? Was it just games and then you have a winner at the end? And a uh, two-part question, and then how, how are these uh, young people uh, selected to, to participate in this thing? So there were 48 delegations. So a delegation is um, two young boys and two young girls. So I think an amazing aspect of this, which is different than obviously the All Men's World Cup, is that there was a complete equal split of um, girls and boys, and that's from the young leader level to the coaches level to the delegation level to the player level. So, right there, um, there was an emphasis on fair play, and by no means was there a tournament and a winner. We have a special form at Street Football World of playing called Football Three, which is looking at um, football in three halves. So we believe that there's a you know, you when you think of playing a game or you think of really anything that we do in life, um, there should be kind of a, a pre-discussion or a pre-meeting to set intentions. And then you obviously do the game or do the act and then you debrief after. So all of our games and all of our workshops and all of and the whole tournament was split into three halves. So we came together, you know, arm in arm before every game and really set intentions and came up with rules for the game. We play and then after we come together. And I firmly believe this is a really incredible and um, really unique way to, to solve conflict. So we didn't have any referees during the tournament and everything was resolved on the pitch by the youth. And so you know, you have people that are involved in gangs at home or some people, we had a team of half Israeli, half Palestinians um, from 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 Israel and Palestine. And so you you see that the, the football pitch really creates this unique opportunity to be able to not only play through some of these stereotypes that we have, but also, you know, have a safe space to have these conversations. So the, in a way, it, uh, it mimics the World Cup. You have all these countries coming together and I think every four years we uh, learn about the uh, 
the current culture, the right. current uh, governments, uh, and and what might be happening in those countries. Right. Yet uh, the sport can kind of connect. Right. Exactly. And that was and that was really that's the intention of the FIFA Foundation um, Festival and just bringing young people together. I would say over probably 80% of them had never been on a plane before. And you have people from, you know, really every corner. Some people traveled for more than 48 hours to get there. Um, one of the girls that I worked with, she she lives in India, and she, you know, she was casually just telling me about, because sometimes when you're working on the grind every day, you don't really see that you're, you're a hero in itself. And she was telling me she, you know, she's worked at her football for good organization for seven years, and she moved, but she's so connected to, to providing a space for young people that she travels by bus five hours each way to her work. Um, so she leaves around 3 a.m., and she doesn't have a seat on the bus. Uh, so she travels five hours each way, so 10 hours total standing. And you hear about these stories, and um, I think that's what really makes my work in New York so much more powerful is you kind of get this contextual idea that we're all – sometimes when you're in the grind day-to-day um, -day kind of working with youth, you kind of forget that there's a much bigger movement and that we all are kind of doing our parts in our community. So that that's just one story um, of really an incredible young leader uh, in India, but there's – Obviously, 299 other stories similar to that. Were you able to go to any World Cup games? I did. We went, we brought uh, 300. Wow. So, yeah, so 300. Three zero zero. Um, yeah, we went to um, the Russia-Spain game in Moscow. So the one that, what was it 1-1 uh, yeah, in no, overtime? No, uh, Russia advanced uh, yeah, yeah. penalties in that yeah, game. Yeah, the penalty. Right. Was yeah. it 1-1? Or was it zero, zero? I don't remember which. I think it was 1-1. One, one. But it was exact. I mean, you couldn't pay for a better experience. So it was perfect. So we were in the stadium for like three. It was just the most incredible atmosphere. And it was really amazing to kind of see see all the youth in that in that, um, in that that environment. It was, you probably, it was considering it was in Russia, you picked the best exactly. match to yeah. go to. They beat Spain. Yeah, it was incredible. Or they incredible. advanced against Spain. We yeah. always say if you tie, you tie. And, uh, yeah. But the, the PKs work for uh, for Russia in that uh, instance. Yeah, it was incredible. And that, I, um, right around then, we also, the final for the Football 3 tournament, so the Football 3 methodology that I was telling you about, the three halves, the final for that tournament was actually held in Red Square, on Red Square. Um, and so it was also kind of this spectacle uh, right before we went to the game. So I think it also created this um, this feeling for the youth that they were playing in such a you know monumental space and there were a lot of eyes on them and that they were really being seen and valued. And then similar to, you know, not in contrast to, but a similar feeling when we were in the stadium that I think that it really transmitted this feeling of like uh, value and importance in the sport. And I think... For me and our work at Street Football World and with sitting in the community, it's really shining a light on these youth and, and saying you're just as important as the Messi's and the Neymar's. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think that that entire week really, uh, you know, created a different a different story to the World Cup. And that's and that's kind of my my passion in, in being involved in this. Is there anything uh, we should note that's on the horizon right now for City and the community? endless stuff <laughs> um yeah i mean we're starting back up on the the academic year and we're just kind of finishing the summer break and starting with saturday night lights and a new season so i think um it, we've we've continued kind of a constant over the summer but really going to get 
uh, back into gear um, in September and October. So we're really excited for a new a new group of kids and also continuing the work that we're already doing with the, the kids already involved in our program. Uh, Lily Barrett O'Keefe, she is the program director for Saturday Night Lights, North American and Caribbean network manager for Street Football World. Thanks for coming in and sharing. Thank you. Nice this is you. wonderful. See you soon, I hope. Thanks. So, FIFA, the governing body of global soccer. You have U.S. soccer. That's the federation here in the United States. And they have an issue. Soccer America published a recent article that detailed a hiring freeze, liberally quoting a candid Tab Ramos. He's the youth technical director of U.S. soccer. Well, the author of the story is the executive editor of Soccer America, Mike Wotaya. Mike, uh, in addition to his writing chores, is also a youth coach. Uh, he coached his daughter. And uh, many of his contributions to Soccer America lean towards player development, coaching education, uh, I want to note that Mike received the Presidential Recognition Award along with J.P. Della Camera at the, the recent United Soccer Coaches Convention. Mike, welcome to the program. It's great to talk to you about all this. It's my pleasure to be here. I want to start your talking to Tab. So there you are, talking to Tab uh, for, for your piece. What are you thinking, because he was pretty candid, when he says it's been a difficult year, and he's not talking about Russia 2018. Were, were you a bit taken aback, or were you pretty up yeah, to speed? Absolutely. As- well, I mean, okay, so the U.S. failed to qualify. That was uh, that was last year in October. Um, we got a new president in February, Carlos Cordero, um, and that's been a long time. Nothing's really been going on. Um, there was an excuse that it was because the new president was busy um, with the bid for the United States and you, along with Mexico and Canada host the World Cup, um, which I don't think is a valid excuse. I mean, this is a big organization. There should be people able to do other things at the same time. What happened with the Tab Ramos interview was that um, I didn't get an answer on what was going on with the youth national team head coaching vacancies. And then you had the most recent one, which was John Hackworth, a longtime U-17 coach, um, you know, who's in the middle of getting ready for the next World Cup. Again, there, the, the Federation did not explain what was going to happen. There was no announcement of an interim coach. Um, and you go all the way back to the Brad Friedel situation, which has been nine months. So I got in touch with Tab, who's the U.S. Youth Soccer uh, Technical Director, and that's when he told me why nothing was being done was there was this freeze, this hiring freeze. Now, what's the reasoning behind that? Uh, I mean, the only thing you could come up with is uh, getting a general manager first, which was has happened, Ernie Stewart, and then there's no head coach yet either. So uh, are are those the issues? I don't know exactly what the problem is. I think that the, that it's not a well-run federation. You know, okay, so they've they hired Ernie Stewart to be the general manager for the senior men's national team. Now they already have Tab in charge of um, the, the the youth national teams, a very experienced coach, a very experienced uh, person in the in the in, in the federation. There's no reason to put the brakes on anything right now just because uh, there are some changes at the top. And if you'll remember when they hired Ernie Stewart. Um, he's answering to, to Jay Bearhalter, who's the COO. Or, uh, excuse me. He's answering to Dan Flynn, who's the CEO. I mentioned Dan Flynn and Jay Bearhalter because they seem to be the two people who are in charge of everything. Um, so to me, something's not going right there when you have um, inaction. And we expected, I think, a lot of us expected that with a new president in the wake of the World Cup qualifying failure, 
we would get information. We would hear what the Federation is doing. Um, we would hear things like, hey, we're going to reach out and go to, into the community and find good coaches and help them come to and help them, you know, come up the ladder. There's all kinds of things they could have done um, to show that the Federation cares about rebounding from that from that failure. Then we find out um, through Tab, who was being quite honest about it, that they're not doing anything even with the youth national teams, which, you know, is a pretty solid program. They may not have won youth world championships, but they got to the quarterfinals on the boys' side, U17, U18, uh, U19, uh, U20 last time around. Um, there should That should not be stagnant. That should be dynamic and moving forward. Is it true uh, uh, our federation is the only that got to that point in both the U17s and U20s, right? Yeah, in England, England which won both of them. Um, so, Outside yeah, of I mean, England, the, sure. Right. And if you look at the kids that were playing on some of these teams, um, you know, you go back a few cycles to Christian Pulisic, um, you know, more recent, and, and Matt Miazga, uh, Josh Sargent, who was part of the um, the U17s the last time around. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to be optimistic about. Not everything's going perfect, obviously. We want to see more from that from that level. But, you know, that it's an important program, the youth national team program. Mike, I want to ask you, when you're talking to Tab, could you sense – uh, in his voice, in his tone, that he was a bit frustrated, uh, angry, disappointed. Uh, what emotion did you get from him? I think I think even without uh, without sort of interpreting the tone uh, that he has to be frustrated. Um, you know, Tab is preparing the U20s for qualifying for the World Cup in a tournament in November, and he has to take charge of the U18s going to the Czech Republic because they haven't filled that vacancy. Um, and he also made a point that I think is, is important is that the, the national teams work together. So you have a head coach of the lower level team, the, say the U18s, and he's the assistant of the U19s. And, and so right. they work together because not every U20 player is going to be from that age group. It's important to have those, all those teams um, you know, well-staffed and well-run. And I think I was also surprised about the, you know, the, what he mentioned about the goalkeeper uh, program that hasn't been implemented. Um, I have to admit that was a surprise. That to me seemed like such a simple program that I would assume any federation would have. That was the one – I'm reading through it, and then I'm thinking there's no full-time goalkeeper coaches? I, exactly. We both assumed it. I was shocked. I was shocked. Well, especially since goalkeeping is something that the United States has a pretty solid reputation for. You know, we have a history of it to going back to the Tony Miola days and Casey Keller and Brad Friedel and um, – you know, plenty of goalkeeper coaches who have, uh, you know, been quite successful. And, and to see that this is somewhere um, where we're not keeping pace, where we're not, uh, you know, where we should be. So, yeah, uh, I, I, something needs to change. I think a person like Todd Ramos has the uh, background, the intelligence and the experience uh, to make decisions for the youth national team program without waiting for whether it's Dan Flynn or Jay Bearhalter to give him the OK on it. Yeah, and it certainly makes sense because, like you said, Ernie Stewart is general manager of the of the first team, the senior team, the U.S. men's national team, and Tab is the uh, uh, technical director uh, on the youth side. We're with Michael uh, Wataya from uh, Soccer America, executive editor there, and and uh, one of the reasons I brought you on too, Michael, is I know you, you you've had coaching experience. I don't know, I, I I think it's been beyond just coaching your daughter, and you're in an area in Oakland where where you've seen a lot of things uh, along the way, and and. You know, some of the topics that you've encountered uh, in your writing have been uh, the underserved community, which is another area that Carlos Codera uh, certainly addressed right. upon getting uh, accepted as the Federation president. What, 
what are your uh, what are your thoughts on that in terms of any progress being made or anything that you might see down the road? Yeah, well, as far as my background, I coached for a long time at a club, East Bay United Bay Oaks, which is also a junior development academy club on the boys' side. And uh, for the last uh, almost two years, I've been coaching with a program called Soccer Without Borders that is uh, uh, specifically focuses on recent immigrant refugees and, and asylees. Um, so, you know, I, I do get to see sort of different sides of the game. I would say the one thing that I've seen that is another thing that the Federation needs to address is how the U.S. Soccer Development Academy functions. And it's actually made things very hard at the grassroots level, specifically because of the strict requirements for licensing, A and B licenses. Um, and those are expensive. They're time consuming. They're hard to get because there aren't that many courses around the country. Um it means that if you have an A or a B, you um, you basically can earn a lot of money because there's a shortage of those coaches, um, and that trickles down. That makes some things more expensive on the other parts of the of the club. I, I really I'm still waiting to get more information on that. It's something I want to cover. I don't understand why a C license isn't good enough to coach under 12s because um, I know that the C license is pretty rigorous. As far as the underserved community goes, uh, I don't think we've heard enough from Carlos Cordero. I think the the, the bottom line there is that, and this goes this is with kids or with coaches and communities, the Federation should go to the communities, not just wait for the communities to come to them. Um, I don't think that's a satisfactory, um, you know, formula. And I think where it starts is with the coaches. Uh, we need more coaches from those communities to reach the higher levels in America. This is all about licensing, which is a peculiar situation because you don't hear about that in basketball, football, and baseball, although do we, we do okay in those course in those, in those sports. But um, yeah, so we need the Federation to, to, to be much more active in, in reaching out and going to those communities and going to those coaches and creating opportunities for those coaches and players instead of just, you know, waiting for them to sort of navigate their way up. Mike, the final one I wanted to address with you is the declining numbers. There was a recent New York Times story, which uh, the number they put was 600,000 children have abandoned soccer into 6 to 12 age group, 6-year-old to 12-year-old age group over the last three years. So what's been the feedback on that? Well, so the statistics are a little bit difficult to kind of figure out. I mean, I do think it's a saw. We, we do know for sure that the registration numbers are flat. Um, well, I speculate when it comes to the possible drop off of, of participation is you've always had children quitting soccer or another sport at a certain age, say 12, 13, when things get ramped up, when you practice more, when you play your round, when it becomes highly competitive. I think what's happened now is that age level has gotten lower, very low in some cases, crazy, crazy, you know, eight-year-old kids traveling and playing year round and tell, being told not to play other sports. And, and, and that's what I think is, is the issue is that it's getting ramped up too early with the whole, you know, soccer uh, youth soccer business that that kids should be able to play without having to pay a lot of money without having to travel a lot and, and be able to do that through their early childhood um, and then make the decision when they're older whether they're going to really be committed to it I think the soccer should be available um, to kids at every level who want to commit you know whatever certain level uh, uh, certain time to that instead of uh, you know professionalizing it so young I think that's my opinion on why we've seen a drop off Mike Wataya from uh, Soccer America New York City FC captain David Villa had missed over seven and a half matches for the most part due to an injured right knee, but he also served an MLS suspension last week against Vancouver for missing the All-Star game. 
Well, he made his return on Sunday, a triumphant one at that, by scoring just 15 minutes into the match at BMO Field in Ontario, NYCFC eventually topping the defending MLS Cup champions Toronto 3-2. Yeah, happy, happy to be back with the team. Uh, I was very worried this this bad time for me because I can't help the, the team. And it's my, always my focus at, uh, to help the team, to be with the team, and I can't. I did everything for for to be well, healthy the as up, you know, but the knees I not, the knees I not every time. With more work I did, uh, the knees I not, and I need to wait for, for the knees I yes. And I'm very happy, very happy because it's not easy after the it's not easy after the big, big long time without being with the team. Playing seventy minutes in a difficult in a difficult scenario because uh, we play with many many heat. Uh, we have many problems yesterday in the in the trip in the in the travel. So I'm I'm happy. I'm happy obviously for the for the victory of the team. That is the most important. But for to to help to uh, with the team again, uh, happy as well. The travel issue via referred to the team's flight was canceled on Saturday, and the group didn't arrive until after 9 p.m. with a 4 p.m. match the next day, and the specter of a four to nothing loss the last time they visited BMO Field last July. Yeah, our feeling the last year when we losing here for nil is is like we can win this team. They are much better than us, and they can fight with us. This is bad in the in the soccer to feel this. You always need to improve and in the next game to, to try to change the mentality. But in the final of the of the game, our mentality was this and, and it's difficult. And this year uh, we are much better against them. We we won the, the, the two games in Yankee Stadium and now today um, we are we are we are happy. It was a 2-1 win at Yankee Stadium earlier this year. Head coach Dolme Torrance's first match in charge. Uh, but Villa got injured in that one 28 minutes in in his last time on the field till Sunday, but still always in charge as the captain of the team. When you are not playing the game, you are not the same thinking soccer player, you know. But it's important, in, obviously, in my case, because I am the captain. I, I was here the, uh, in the first year. Dome and the staff arriving, arriving new in the in the city and in the club and and I try to do my best these weeks uh, out too uh, to to help them give my my hand in, my hand in in everything but you know I am a little bit more happy today because after the give my hand in the week during the week I can do my hand as well in the in the weekend Terrell who worked with Villa when they were both at Barcelona hadn't experienced much of Villa on the field for New York City so obviously he was happy to see number 7 back we were able to win a bit out a bit because that's mean the, uh, we have a strong strong team a strong players and very happy for for the reason but everybody knows the bit is special for us because you uh, you has uh, uh, you have seen today is uh, the first action uh, he's able to to score a goal and that goal gave NYC the early lead and at that moment it gave via the team lead with nine goals despite missing 10 matches overall. But there would be a new team leader before the conclusion of the match. First-year forward Ishmael Tajiri Shradi finished his ninth and 10th goals of the year with a game-winner, an astonishing volley from distance in the 88th minute 
to uh, give New York City the 3-2 road win. Terrell, he says that the decisive nature of Shradi's game is part of the reason that the Libyan is in such great form. I agree with you uh, about maybe he's in the, he's in the best moment. Maybe he can improve. Uh, I think so. But uh, it's very important to, to have uh, players who, who can decide in in two or three actions, uh, one game. And Shradi agrees, noting that he was unaware that his goals have been delivered with remarkable precision. 15 shots on frame and 10 goals. <sighs> it's difficult to say because, uh, yeah, if it's, I say always if you... If you if you have a, if you have a, the chance to shoot, you must uh, you must try it. If you if you cannot if you don't shoot, then the ball cannot go inside. But uh, how you say in the in the weekend when we have the training, sometimes we get the ball and we have uh, some finishes. That's I think for every uh, for every attack player. Uh, uh, won't do that and we do that all uh, all, all our attack players do that in the uh, during the week I try always my, give my best when I shoot with my with my left foot or the right foot is not so not so likely a left foot. Well, he's working on it. Shradi did miss a sitter with his right foot in the first half. Nonetheless, he's in the top 10 of goal scorers in Major League Soccer. And it appears that New York City is in a fight with the Red Bulls and Atlanta United, not only for the Eastern Conference title, but the Supporters' Shield. City also with a one-point lead over Atlanta for the best aggregate record in 2017 and 18. The leader in that department earns a bid to next year's CONCACAF Champions League. Next up for the boys in blue, the Philadelphia Union on Saturday. Airtime for the pregame here on WNYE, 6.45 p.m. Well, that'll do it for Soccer City. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great week of soccer.